It begins with openness. The willingness to come alongside someone else. To pour out. Care. Invest. It's about sharing the journey. Doing life. Together. Growing. Forging. Becoming. It's about selflessness. Caring enough to walk through the valley. Even when it's painful. To love people as Christ has loved us. It's rejoicing when they rejoice. Hurting when they hurt. Being a hand. An encourager. A friend. We were not created to wander alone. For as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Yeah, I'm excited to be up here again. Um, every once in a while they let me preach, so I'm grateful for that. But I always have to start with a Bible college story, so I'm going to start with one today. Um, this one's not as crazy as my ones in the past, and I know I say this all the time, but some of you that don't know, you might be new, I went to a Bible college called Peace River Bible Institute in a town called Sexsmith, Alberta. Um, I know, it's a very funny name for a town with a Bible college. Um, but the town had about 500 people. Um, there's a hockey rink and a curling rink. Those are about the only two cool things in the town. Um, and I played on... Surprisingly, I played on the hockey team my first year at this Bible college. Um, so when you put a lot of farmers, I, farmers are good at hockey. So there's actually quite a few amazing hockey players on our, on our team. Some of them played junior A and junior B. If you don't know what that means, it doesn't matter. But there's one guy named Austin. And if Austin ever listens to this, hello, Austin. Um, but he was probably the best hockey player I've ever seen in person, um, like played with. He's the fastest skater ever. He would score like six goals a game. And I was um, not as good as Austin or many other guys on my team. So I was probably fourth line at best, sometimes third line. Um, if you watch the Calgary Flames, my job was like a Trevor Lewis. I dumped dump the puck in and then I was supposed to hit people and fight. Um, just kidding, we were a Bible college. We weren't allowed to fight. I did once, but that's a story for another day. But. Um, yeah, so I'm on the third or fourth line usually. I never get to play with Austin. So um, this is a Friday night game. I think we had 200 people at our college, um, and it's a small town. There's nothing else to do on Friday. So we had everybody from our school, professors, um, president of the school, they're all at this game. It, this tiny arena is packed. Um, you feel like you're playing like at the Saddle Dome, and it was just awesome. Friday night game, we're down a goal. Um, and I'll never forget this moment. It's seared in my brain forever, and I hate it. But um, I, so yeah, so I'm out there. We're down a goal, and I, we're, it's in our zone. It's in our end, and I'm on, I'm a left-handed shot, so I'm on the right wing, um, and I, the puck gets cleared out of our zone on the left side, bounces off the boards, goes to my guy. I look over. It all happens so fast when you're playing. I look over, um, and I see Austin's on the ice. I'm like, oh, I'm on the ice with Austin. I see he, he's got the puck. I look down to the other end and I see that, oh, there's only one defender. And I realize, oh, I'm going in on a two-on-one with Austin. 
Austin gets like six goals a game, so I just know he's gonna pass it to me. So I started like freaking out. I'm like, I'm like, oh, and he's such a fast skater, so I was like, I gotta get going. So I just put my head down, skating as fast as I can. I look up, if you played hockey, you probably know where this is going. I look up, look back, Austin's like 10 or 15 feet behind me, and I'm crossing the blue line, and I put us offside. And everybody, uh, this is, I instantly, it's like the most embarrassing moment of my life. My girlfriend at the time, she's in the stands. I just instantly see my theology professor's shiny bald head. He's just dying laughing in the crowd. Everybody's laughing. Everyone's like, what is Eric doing? So Austin comes skating up to me and he's like, what are you doing, Eric? Like, why were you skating so fast? I was like, you're a fast skater. I'm trying to keep up with you. And he's like, well, I'm not skating that fast. But then he said something, because I was going to quit. I was like, I'm going to the dressing room. I never want to play hockey again. And I'm not going to my classes ever again. Um, <laughs> but he came up to me, and he was like, he was like, don't worry, Eric. He like, tapped me on the shoulder. He's like, we'll get you a goal tonight. Um, and that was like an encouraging word that I needed. Uh, but it, I didn't get a goal. <laughs> but... I did get a goal, I think, once that season. So, um, it, but it was his encouraging word that made me not want to quit. I was like, okay, I'll keep going, just breathe. Um, and I, that's like a funny way of explaining what I want to talk about today. But um, we all need encouragement at times in our life, and we all need encouragement, especially in our faith journeys. Um, so, um, yeah, like I think the way that we do life together. And what we're called to do is encourage one another. So I have the privilege of talking um, about Hebrews. Um, Noah's not here, but I want to thank Noah for being a better reader than I am now. But um, he read that passage so gracefully for us. So I'm not going to read it again. But the book of Hebrews, um, it's a little challenging sometimes because it's so full of um, Israel's history and it, I think a lot of times to grasp what the author of Hebrews is trying to say, you have to have at least a basic understanding of ancient Israel's sacrificial system and their law, um, because then we can really understand what the author is trying to say. So some of this might be a little wordy, and I apologize, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breeze through some of it. There's so much good in this passage, and I really want to focus on the last two verses, because that's what Scott told me to focus on. So... <laughs> I have, to, um, I have to get through this. But Hebrews, yeah, it can be confusing sometimes, but I don't think it always has to be. And I think it's one of my favorite books um, when I really sit down and read it. Um, there's some amazing verses, like our God is a consuming fire, or you have this hope as an anchor for your soul. And I actually do have a tattoo of an anchor, and that's why I got the tattoo when I was in Bible college. So I do have some meaningful tattoos, but it's rare. Um, yeah, so in the nine chapters leading up to this uh, chapter and these verses that we read, um, the author has been pretty much laying down how important um, Jesus' death and resurrection is for us as Christians. That's like his main purpose. Um, he's setting up what Jesus did for us and what it means for us as Christians, which brings us to our verses today. Um, so we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Um, I think the original readers of this letter um, probably would have been quite steeped in the Torah, the Jewish Bible, um, what they considered scripture. They would have been steeped in this. Um, so I think their mind 
I don't, I don't know for sure. I wasn't there. I'm not, I'm not that old. But I think they probably would have thought of Leviticus 10, where I'm not going to read the story because it's kind of gruesome, but where two um, people named Nadab and Abihu enter the Holy of Holies and they uh, do an offering of fire that's unauthorized. So what does God do? He comes down and burns them up, right? So I think their <laughs> minds would have been thinking of that situation when they would be reading these words um, that the author of Hebrews wrote down. Because the Israelites, they had a high priest who could enter the Holy of Holies, the most holy place as um, the NLT translates it, but he could enter the Holy of Holies once a year to offer a blood sacrifice. He would have to go through the curtain um, to offer the sacrifice once a year. So what the author of Hebrews is trying to start these verses off by saying is, as followers of Jesus, Christians can approach God confidently because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of his work on the cross, that curtain and that veil are permanently open. Um, So he's saying the old way, um, there's a new life-giving way um, where we can enter into the presence of God, which would have been insane for the original hearers of this. So I don't want to overlook this, but it would have been a crazy thought that we can confidently enter into God's presence um, because they couldn't do that. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, um, we, can, we have a great high priest who has opened that curtain and veil forever. So I think this is an insane way to start these verses. It's such a powerful, um, meaningful thing because that's where we have confidence in our faith. And that's where we have hope in our faith is because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. So, awesome, but now what? Um, and that's where I want to focus most of my sermon today. I don't know how long I've been talking, so if it's like, oh, he's already been talking for 15 minutes, um, it, you have to sit for another 20. No, okay. <laughs> um, but now what? So, like, that's awesome. We have this confidence. We have this hope. And now what do we do with it? Um, and that's where I think um, the author of Hebrews is really um, in line with what Jesus taught us. So I want to read a quick quote from a commentary that I was reading while studying for this uh, sermon, and it puts it this way. Um, The writer of Hebrews exhorts his readers on the basis of the doctrine he has made so clear. Because the great teachings he has set forth are true, it follows that those who profess them should live in a manner befitting of them. On the basis of Christ's sacrifice, the writer exhorts his readers to make the utmost use of the blessing that has been won for them. So if I was like a yelling John Piper style of preacher, this is when I would yell. But pretty much don't waste your faith. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. Don't um, just like Christ won this blessing. Um, You have this confidence. Now you have to live it out. Don't waste what Christ did for you on the cross. That's pretty much what he's saying. And I think that's crazy powerful. So if you only get one thing from my sermon, it should be this. Your relationship with Jesus affects your relationship with others. Your relationship with Jesus affects your relationship with others. And that's what Jesus is all about. I think when he was living here on earth, that's literally what he did. He would affect people and he would call his disciples and followers to do the same thing. So I want to focus on verse 23 first. Um, And man, I'm actually going to refer to my mom a lot probably during this sermon, but my mom actually gave me some great ideas. So Thanks, mom, when you're watching this um, or listening to this, I am using 
some of your insight, so thank you. But um, verse 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Um, like Lindsay prayed, um, God keeps his promises and that's fulfilled in Jesus. And I think it, this is a cool little, um, I don't think this is coincidental, but the nine chapters leading up um, to our chapter in chapter 10 is all like heavy theology and doctrine. And then we have these verses. And then in chapter 11, we have the great heroes of the faith. We have just list of people that lived amazingly. And I don't think that's a coincidence because I think the uh, author of Hebrews is trying to say, okay, you have this confidence. So let's live a certain way like the heroes of the faith lived. So it's kind of sandwiched between um, for a reason. And what is that way? Like, how do we live? Um, it's let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Um, I don't know, have you ever been around somebody who is like the nicest, kindest person in the world? Um, like, yeah, if you haven't, I would suggest hanging out with Basil Holloway. Um, I've, I've known Basil for, sorry Basil, I'm calling you out, but it's positive. I've known Basil for four years now, almost four years, and I've never heard a single mean thing about anyone or anything come out of Basil's mouth. Like even, like we, we're at Young Adults some Monday nights and you know, we start maybe gossiping about somebody or, or we start talking bad about an organization and Basil is always quick to try and like bring it to a positive light. Like, hey, it's not that bad. Um, or he's like just so kind and so patient and so loving with everyone. Um, and that motivates me um, because I'm, I would say sometimes the exact opposite. Um, like yesterday, I, I came to the church a little late because um, I was picking up some sandwiches that we made uh, for the mustard seed with youth. And Ron Lowe, I took up uh, the fridge space and Ron and Nancy Lowe were in here, um, you know, loading up the fridge and I had all my stuff in there and Ron was making a joke. So I was just instantly short with Ron. I was just like, I'm, so sorry, Ron, publicly. Um, and I think a couple months ago, I swore at, at Dennis, um, yeah, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so sometimes I hang around people like Basil and I'm like, man, I want to be like that. It motivates me to be like Basil, um, which is ultimately this high praise. But I think sometimes I'm like, man, if Jesus was here right now, I think Basil represents Jesus to me, um, in so many ways. Um, so thank you, Basil. Thank you. Um, but it also kind of annoys me. I'm not going to lie. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, Basil, just say something mean about somebody. Why are you so perfect? But I think that actually, that actually um, really represents the Greek word um, for motivate in this passage. You're, um, depending what translation you read, it could be spur one another, motivate one another, stimulate one another. Um, but the Greek word for um, that translation, if you translate it literally, I'm not going to pronounce it because I'm two years out of my Greek and I know my Greek professor who happens to be my cousin. I know he listens to my sermons and I know he'll make fun of me. So I'm not going to pronounce the Greek word because I've forgotten how. But when you literally translate it, it means to irritate and provoke in like an angry way. So it's like an angry dispute, like irritating somebody or provoking somebody. So I feel like that's what Basil does to me. <laughs> he irritates me because he's so kind and nice, 
that I'm like, I guess I have to be kind of nice. Oh, and I think that's, I imagine the author of Hebrews be, he's probably saying, be so loving and kind and do so many good things that you annoy and irritate people to do the same thing. Like, this isn't just like, try your best. He's like, no, be the nicest person in the world and it'll annoy people to do the same thing. So thank you, Basil, for doing that for me. Um, Cause that, when we're together, that really, really does motivate me um, to be a better person, to be more loving and kind. And I think that's what we're called to do with our confident faith. We have this faith in Jesus, so let's motivate one another to love and good works. And that ultimately brings us to Jesus when he explains to the expert in religious law, what, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we love God through having this confident faith and believing in Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. And what do we do with that? We love others by doing acts of love and good works because your relationship with Jesus affects your relationship with other people. Um, And not only are we called to live this way, but we're called to actually motivate people to live this way. So we're called to be like Jesus. We're called to be like Basil. Um, And I find it kind of hard to motivate other people when I don't do something myself, you know? Um, I don't listen to somebody um, if I don't think that they're doing what they're telling me to do. Um, I'm not going to let somebody who doesn't skateboard tell me how to kickflip. I also have skateboarded for 18 years, and I can only land like one out of 100 kickflips. So, but I'm not going to let somebody who's never skateboarded tell me how. And in the same way, I don't think um, I'm going to listen to somebody who I don't think is loving and kind. If they're not loving and kind, then I'm not going to listen to them tell me how to love somebody. Um, and I think that's huge. And speaking of skateboarding, I'm um, building a skate park in the basement of the church. Yeah, dangerous, I know. Um, it's not just for me, there's other reasons where I, why we're building it. But, um, so one Tuesday night after youth group, all the youth had left, and I uh, invite my friend David, and he, he did give me permission to use his quote and his name. So, thanks David. But um, I invited my friend David to come skate one late night, so we skate, we're both old, we skated for like a half hour downstairs, and then we're tired, so we just sit down and we talk about life, and we're talking about everything. Um, he grew up Christian, he isn't a Christian, but he definitely doesn't like Christianity. So um, sometimes I have to take things he says with a grain of salt, but um, so we're talking about, in the basement of this church, we're talking about Christians, and he said this, I've never met people who are more racist, more unkind to people experiencing homelessness, more unloving to LGBTQ plus people, or more mean and angry than Christians. Yeah, Um, I think it's a bit of an overgeneralization, but but it does hold some stark and scary truth because I think that's how most of culture perceives us. Um, And I think there's reasons why they perceive us that way. We can get into a ton of them, but then we, we're always out here trying to say, this is how you love people. But if culture doesn't think we love people very well, then why should they listen to us, right? So I think we overcomplicate our faith so much sometimes. We, we just constantly have this worry about all these things that I don't think are salvation issues and I don't think ultimately matter. I think we overcomplicate our faith so much because what did Jesus tell us to do? He told us to love God and love other people. And what is the author of Hebrews telling us to do? Motivate one another to love and good works. Um, man, so I always feel like I'm preaching to myself. Maybe that's why Scott gave me this sermon, because he's trying to give me a hint that I, I need to be more loving and encouraging in staff meeting or something. I don't know. But 
We need to motivate one another to love and good works, and we really need to love people like we're called to do. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day is drawing near. So what's the purpose of our faith? This confidence that we have in Jesus? I think it's twofold. Number one, we encourage one another in the hope and confidence we receive in Jesus. And number two, we motivate one another to love and good works. Your relationship with Jesus should affect your relationship with other people. Why do we meet together? I'm reminded of Paul um, at the opening of Romans. Um, He pretty much sums up why we meet together. Um, In Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. We meet together to mutually encourage each other and then to go out and love people better. Um, That's honestly, I think, the only reason why I'm still a Christian. And the only reason why I come to church is because I believe this. We can come to church on Sunday morning and we worship God and we have this confidence as fellow believers um, in this faith and we're this family and it's awesome, but then we're also called to motivate one another to go outside these walls and do something with that faith. And how do we do that? By love and good works. Um, so it's, it's simple, but it's not. <laughs> I wish it was because I'm probably going to go out and be angry at somebody this week. But it's, so I think there's room that you, you, should, you should be able to forgive yourself and know that you're forgiven. But I think as believers, as followers of Jesus, we need to motivate one another and encourage one another um, to be better people, to be more like Jesus. And that's the whole purpose of why we meet together. And this could happen not just on Sunday morning. It could happen at youth group. It could happen in small groups. It could happen over text or phone. Um, It could happen over coffee with a friend. But I think when we get together, we encourage each other in our faith and we motivate one another um, to love and good works. So I'm not going to end my sermon without bragging about my youth group um, because I I think it's good. Yes, Kate, you're there. I see you. Um, But yeah, so on Friday, I've been here almost four years. I hope I'm right with that, like three and a half or something. Um, And we've as a youth group, we've had a lot of opportunity um, to serve people in many different organizations. But this past Friday, um, the youth took time out of their week um, to come to the church, and we made brown bag lunches for the mustard seed for people in need. Um, And I'm always so thankful that the youth care about this, but I'm also motivated because I find the younger generation... um, not that I'm picking on the older generation, I'm picking on myself too when I say this, but the younger generation, um, they don't just want to talk about theological issues and topics and spiritual things. I think they actually have a desire and heart to live it out. They're like, okay, if that's what Jesus calls us to do, then let's do it. So we've had the opportunity to do that. So I just think it's amazing um, and it's encouraging and motivates me. And then I dropped the sandwiches and the lunches off at the mustard seed yesterday afternoon and then the the lady there and I thought man God does work in serious ways and crazy ways funny ways but the lady there that was taking the um, donations um, she didn't know that they were coming and she was like this is an answer to prayer because we've run out of food and we have like a hundred people here that we need to feed so we dropped off 140 lunches so I think on top of meeting together 
um, and encouraging each other in our faith, we're called to do things like that. We're called to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus um, to a culture that desperately needs him and to a broken world that needs love and kindness. So that's my, um, that's my hope for myself this week, and that's my hope for you guys. Um, yeah, as we go from these church walls, um, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, um, yeah, we come before you as broken people, um, but because of your Son and the work um, on the cross that he did for us, Lord, we know that we are forgiven. We know that the curtain has been open forever, um, that death and sin have been defeated, and that there's a new way, a new life-giving way to live. And Lord, um, we thank you for your scripture and the motivation and encouragement and the, the lessons and stories it tells, Lord. And I pray that as we go um, from these church walls, that we would be inspired um, to love and good works, Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen.